Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show here today, whether you're doing it at cnjradio.com, home of all the great podcasts of cnjradio.com, plugs at the end of the show, or you're leaving a review somewhere on a site that rates podcasts. I appreciate every one of you who does that. Thank you so very much. Okay. So there's very little rock news out there in uh, mainstream press. I gotta tell you, because I search for it all the time, and there's just nothing to be had as far as current news about current rock bands. It's either one subgenre or another, but like rock and roll in itself seems to be pretty much dead in the mainstream media. However, they can't get over talking about the 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Festival. Now, this episode is not intended to piss entirely all over the Woodstock generation. It's not my generation, as uh, somebody said that. That would make a good song, actually. Um, But I'm not necessarily down with uh, that whole scene. Although, I don't hate it all entirely. I, I, I dig the sentiment of, you know, at the very simplistic base of getting together, having a music festival, having it go over well with very little bullshit, and, you know, maybe making some sort of social statement on top of it. That's always a bonus, an icing on the cake, I suppose. And defining an era. I mean, Woodstock did do that. I'd be lying if I told you it didn't. Uh, but... Basically, I figured, hell, why don't we celebrate these anniversaries? And by uh, anniversaries, I'm going to actually do a three-parter here over the course of a little bit here where we talk about all three Woodstock festivals. Because I'm pretty sure, especially as of this recording, they're never going to do another one ever again. They were supposed to do a big revival version of it this year somewhere off location from the original one which you know the the two that followed the original were also off location so it's a whole stupid thing but Woodstock 50 got canceled so and you know what honestly they deserve it uh you know I'm sorry for the crew people that are out of work they're probably not they probably moved on to better gigs but man that festival lineup sucked in a big way matter of fact there would be no possible way i could even remotely do an episode of rock strikes 10 based off of the woodstock 50 lineup so no resting in peace no well wishes for it it was a terrible lineup and it deserved to die i guess it's kind of reflected of most modern music or the majority of it but this episode's not about the coulda been of Woodstock 50. This episode actually is about the original Woodstock Festival. Now, once again, I said that at the top of the show, it's not really my scene. So I considered it a challenge to actually dive deep into the lineup, the entirety of the lineup of the original Woodstock Festival in 1969. And, uh, you know, I even uh, went the extra mile and watched the film top to bottom for the first time ever. I have never watched this thing in order I've always Tarantino'd it. And, you know, it's a fine documentary. Of course, it's very well edited. And if your experience of the Woodstock lineup is strictly based off of the film, then you're in for a surprise today. I've got a little angle here for you. On my episode here of Rock Strikes 10 and the Woodstock 50th anniversary, I combed through the entire lineup and found 10 bands that don't suck in the Woodstock 69 lineup. And... I'd say probably about half of them didn't even make the film. 
so it's almost like out of sight, out of mind. You would never know that these acts actually performed at the festival, but they did. So I'm here to give them their due as well, and also give due to anybody of quality that made the cut of the dialogue that goes into talking about this thing here. All right, is that enough explanation? Let's get to the music. So yeah, we're going to go in performance order here. So I was coming through the lineup. First day, nothing for me. Nothing for you, honestly. It wasn't very good. I will give Richie Havens his due. I'm not a big fan. Not a fan of folk music almost entirely at all. But I gotta say, he played his ass off on his set. I I tried to go into the movie with a bit of an open mind, not being a big fan of hippie culture. Being a fan of certain hippie politics, but not so much the culture in itself and the drugs and all that shit. But once again, gotta say, Richie Havens totally destroyed it. Very cool. I'm not going to play him here on the show, but um, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna go with uh, one of the people that I consider I call my hippie friends. This is John Sebastian. <laughs> so I will always say that my two hippie friends that get a pass are John Sebastian and Donovan. So let's welcome John Sebastian in here to Rock Strikes 10. He actually wrote one of my favorite songs ever. Not Welcome Back, although I do love Welcome Back. Who doesn't love the Welcome Back Cotter theme? And hey, not for nothing, the man was also unmarried with children, so you know he's not a total dick. So, yeah, I like the writing of John Sebastian for the most part, and I like the Love and Spoonful. That's where I, I, I'd rather piss off the hipsters than the hippies when I say the birds do absolutely nothing for me, but the Love and Spoonful, man, that's where it's at, man. Okay. Alright, so we're kicking off the show with John Sebastian. Now I will say, you probably will recognize this song. This is a song that the first time I ever heard it was through my spirit animal, Diamond David Lee Roth. So maybe you didn't know this, but the original version of this song was performed by the Love and Spoonful. So to represent John Sebastian's participation and who knows what he was on during Woodstock, uh, this is the Love and Spoonful and the original version of Coconut Grove. Nothing matters, no mad, mad world, and no mad hatters. No one's pitching, cause there ain't no batters in Coconut Grove. Don't bother the door, there's no one coming. The ocean's roar will dull the drumming of any city, thoughts of city way. The ocean breeze is cool. My mind, the salty days are hers and mine Just to do what we want Tonight we'll find a doom that's ours And softly she will speak the stars until sun up It's all from having someone knowing Just which way your head is blowing Who's always warm like in the morning In Coconut Grove The ocean breeze is cool My mind, the salty days are hers and mine just to do what we wanted Tonight we'll find a doom 
it's ours and softly she will speak the stars until sun It's really true how nothing matters No mad mad world and no mad hatters No one's pitching cause there ain't no batters In coconut grove Kicking off this episode and my tribute to the decent quality acts of the original Woodstock lineup, that was Eleven Spoonful, featuring, of course, the great John Sebastian doing the original version of Coconut Grove. Of course, you've probably mostly heard the version from David Lee Ross' Crazy from the Heat. I know I did as well, and it's just one of my favorite songs ever. If you're ever having a bad day, you need to, like, chill out, just put the headphones on, throw that one on. That one does it for me every time, so there you go. Coconut Grove, Love and Spoonful, great stuff there. Now, John was in the film, however, this next act was not in the film, whether they were cut out for any kind of legal reasons. A lot of the uh, more iconic acts, quote-unquote, that are associated with the Woodstock generation that weren't in the original cut of the Woodstock film actually opted out to not be in the film. Some of them were just embarrassed by their performance, honestly. And, uh, you know, some people, I don't know, they were advised to, like, opt out of it. I don't know. But for some reason or another, Mountain, the great Mountain with Leslie West was cut out of the Woodstock movie, which is a shame because they're one of the true great bands of the 60s. It would have been nice to have this kind of representation because the folky thing definitely gets a bit much for me. I gotta tell you, I did fast forward past two parts of the film, legit. And even though I gave it like 20 seconds, but I just couldn't take it anymore. I fast forwarded past Joan Baez and uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash after a while. It's just like, I can't I can't deal with it. But uh, yeah, so anyway, I, I, I've never felt more like Cartman, you know, blasting Slayer at the Hippie Festival than <laughs> watching half of this film. So, but yeah, it would have been nice to have Mountain in there. My God, one of the great rock bands ever. Truly underrated because they're really only known for Mississippi Queen. But you should definitely do at least a deep dive on the first two Mountain records. So this song is actually from uh, Climbing by Mountain. One of the great rock and roll records of all time. And he wrote a song paying tribute to the guy who basically kind of was mostly responsible for at least getting the ball rolling on the festival itself as a guy that owned all that farmland out there. The guy named Max Yasger. And uh, he's the old guy that gives a speech uh, on the stage towards the end of the festival, like saying how cool everybody was and everything. So it's really cool. It was nice to see some of the old people interviewing the town that actually weren't being dicks about everything. Because I don't know how I'd feel about it. <laughs> like if, uh, you know, let's say the equivalent of what the Woodstock lineup this year would have been set up shop like, you know, a mile from my house. I don't know how I'd feel about it. I would probably hate it, honestly, but what the fuck. Anyway, <laughs> but as that, it's nice to see the older people in there that aren't being total assholes. Of course, you expect that they're going to interview some people that are just shitting all over it, so it's, an, it's a fun little balance there. But getting back to Mountain, uh, his paying tribute to Max Yasker, the guy who gave up the property for the week, and uh, man... That guy must have been independently wealthy because, uh, I mean, obviously, I guess the organizers paid for the cleanup, but good God, man, that cleanup must have been a motherfucker. Anyway, getting back to Mountain, 
This is actually a live version of the song from Climbing, which you can find if you get the remastered version of Climbing. So here's a live version of For Yasker's Farm by Mountain. Check it out.
Ah, there you go. Another reason why I really like that song, it reminds me of my favorite mountain song, theme from an imaginary western. But there you go. That was for Yasgur's Farm, a live version. You can find that on the Legacy Edition of Mountain Climbing. Go get that record. It is greatness, for sure. All right, and here's one. Maybe you don't know this. Maybe you didn't know this. I didn't know this until... I was probably told this years ago or read about it and I forgot about it, but the hottest band in America at that time was at Woodstock, but they did not make the cut of the film, and that was Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yes, they were flying high at that point. I think they said they didn't like their performance either, so they opted out of the film. What the hell? No, no worries, though. It basically kind of makes them their own thing. They're super-duper popular. They kind of appeal to everybody. Like, even, like, the old people in that town would probably dig a lot of CCR, really, at the end of the day. Because a lot of it's country music. You know, revivalist-type stuff, root stuff. So, But I like CCR. I mean, how, how can you not like CCR? At least a couple of songs, by God. But here's actually my favorite CCR song. So I'm going to play it to represent the fact that they were at Woodstock as well. Once again, would have been nice to see him in the film. That would have helped me out at least this afternoon. But here you go. Turn this one up. A great rocker here. This is Hey Tonight. There you go, a little Hey Tonight by Credence. A little CCR right there for you. Hope you enjoyed that. It's always better when it's louder. 
Here's another one that just kills, especially at maximum volume. Just one of this is one of the greatest songs ever, 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 in my opinion. And you watch the footage of this band on that stage at Woodstock, and it's just like, yeah, here we go. <laughs> I was so happy to see this man's face and outfit uh, towards the end of the movie, because by God, man. But yeah, Sly Stone with Sly and the Family Stone just up there showing them how it's done you know it's okay to shake your ass it's okay to be a rock star here you go this is how it's done kids act accordingly so yeah i i I have to play this it's it's an obvious song by them but you know on a rock and roll show maybe it's not so obvious but it should be so here you go sly and the family stone i want to take you higher
it's so good. Love it. The song gives me the chills every time. That song is over 50 years old, and it's so friggin' timeless. That's most of Sly Stone's material right there. So go do a big dive on Sly Stone. You will not be disappointed. Well, maybe slightly in the latter albums where he was, like, cracked out and stuff. But anyway, when he was on, the man was dynamite. Sly and the Family Stone, I want to take you higher. Yes. Okay. Sticking with quality live acts. And basically, like, okay, if you are watching the Woodstock film, which I applaud you if you can make it through all three hours and 40 minutes of it. I watched the director's cut, actually. Don't know why. But it wasn't bad. But uh, here, here's a tip for you. If you see a singer on stage and they're wearing a fringe jacket, you're going to be fine. In the case of Sly Stone and in the case of this band, The Who, you know, which a band that sticks out like a sore thumb, especially in the film, because they're just such rock stars and they're from out of town and they're just up there doing their thing. And they were at their peak at that point, just about to put out Who's Next. I mean, not a better time for the who than this period right here and uh so you know i i'm trying not to play so much of the actual live audio from woodstock because i'm going to save that uh, for a little bit later here maybe coming up here soon so i'm only going to pull two actual performances from the festival and the soundtrack because you know it's just it's lazy you know you gotta you gotta look around on rock strikes 10 we just don't do anything half-assed here so anyway getting on to the who's amazing performance at woodstock and just they were just once again, like I said, in the zone at this point. So here's uh, some audio from a festival they were at a little later on, about a year from Woodstock. They played the Isle of Wight Festival in 1970, and this sounds pretty much right on with the version they played at Woodstock. So here's The Who doing their cover of Eddie Cochran's Summertime Blues.
All right, there you go. Summertime blues with really humorous interplay with the ox Johnette whistle there playing the old guys in the song. There you go. Summertime blues by the Who. One of the great covers ever. Uh, the version that everybody ripped off after that, you know, like Blue Cheer and stuff like that. So, all right. Now we're going to get to one of the two times that I will play actual audio from the original Woodstock Festival via the uh, really well-done Rhino remaster that came out a few years ago. And I feel like I just have to play this version. Not have to. I mean, I like it, or else I wouldn't play it on my damn show. But uh, this song is so synonymous with that time. And it's talking about great cover versions, like the last song there, Summertime Blues. This is really one of the true great cover songs of all time. It took it to a different place. And uh, I gotta say, I think it's better. I think this version has always been the better version, with no disrespect to the original, because of course without the original, this one doesn't exist. Uh, But yeah, you're going to enjoy all 10 minutes of this right here, uh, because just one of the great singers, man. If you don't think that this guy is an amazing singer, then you're just, I don't know what to say. But uh, here you go, with a little help from my friends, by Joe Cocker. Enjoy. The only thing I can say, as I've said to many people, is this title uh, just about... Uh, puts it all into focus. It's called With a Little Help from My Friends. Remember it. to sing out a key Oh baby How you find Oh I need it My buddy Tell me when you say no more. Oh, I can live my friend. 
Certain it happens all the time. You know it does. What do you see when you turn off the light? I don't see nothing, but it's your Gotta get my friends together. Cause all we gotta do is love. I'm gonna take them home with me now. You gotta get all of your friends. You gotta get all your friends in love Everybody knows the way 
somebody knows the way Look out your friend Look out your friend Look out your friend to love Look out your friend to love Look out your soul to love kind of cover of with a little help from my friends of course originally performed by the Beatles with Ringo Starr on lead vocals that was the Joe Cocker version of course from Woodstock 69 Hugh Beavis and Butthead laugh okay but yeah I mean like I said that one's law it's great and uh, I think I read somewhere one time where Joe Cocker said or somebody close to the organization said that out of his entire band, Joe's the only one that remembered playing Woodstock. <laughs> and uh, just to add uh, another extra quick anecdote, uh, of course, the C of CNJ, my best friend Chris, his uh, parents told me one time that they went and saw Joe Cocker live in concert uh, not more than a few weeks after Woodstock took place, and Joe was wearing the exact same clothes looked like he hadn't even changed at all at that point so the greatness <laughs> so yeah i always thought that was a very funny story so all right moving on here another act cut out from the film actually the next two were cut out of the film and uh you know i'm not a big like traditional blues guy like i like some people here and there and then there's that hybrid blue-eyed white boy pale face blue stuff and you know i'm just really not down with a whole lot of it but i do make some exceptions it's like i'm not a big southern rock fan but i like the almond brothers for the most part um so yeah uh, as far as if you're gonna pick a, a white blues man honestly let's just be honest here these next two are probably the way to go yes it's gonna be a little blues oriented double shot here and uh the first one of the two 
is a guy who uh, recently left us a few years ago, uh, a guy that they used to refer to as the Texas Tornado, uh, one of the great guitar players ever, Johnny Winter, and I'm playing this song in particular to represent another artist who played Woodstock, who you'll hear later on in the show. So this song is called Rock Me Baby. Check it out.
right, there you go. Rest in peace, the Texas boy, Johnny Winter, with Rock Me Baby. I know that song the most uh, via Hendrix's cover of it at Monterey in 67. That version is amazing, so that's why I wanted to play Johnny's version of Rock Me Baby. Over to this band over here. At one point, I think it was on Alice Cooper's iTunes playlist special, he referred to this band as the greatest live band he ever saw. So naturally, since I had never heard them or barely heard of them at that point, and not that I would by the name, I went ahead and looked them up. And, you know, I got like a double disc best of, and I'm pretty cool with that. Uh, And a band I think actually is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if I'm not mistaken, or they've been nominated like a handful of times. But the Paul Butterfield Blues Band... Uh, definitely got to be mostly known just due to the fact that Paul Butterfield was an absolute beast on the harmonica. So uh, there you go. If it's good enough for Alice, it's good enough for us. Uh, so here's a nice, really easy, quick two-minute instrumental ditty that uh, the Paul Butterfield Blues Band did. And I got to be honest with you, I picked this track not only because it's short, but because of the title. So here you go. This is the Paul Butterfield Blues Band with Nut Popper Number 1. <laughs> some nut popper number one right there from the ball from the paul butterfield blues band because of the whole bbb thing at the end of that i have edited myself about four times now just on that last segment because i would say the ball butterfield blues band 
but hey, a little behind the scenes there. So if you are a longtime friend of Rock Strikes 10, you will know that I give it up a lot for this band. This band was my gateway to all of the oldies from the 50s. Um, 99% of the great classics that I heard were via this band, this, this great vessel that existed in this weird pocket of free love culture. Going back to the roots. Sha-na-na. Yes, I'm always going to love Sha-na-na. My quick explanation, my mom or dad had like the double live album of the best of Sha-na-na where they just do all the great oldies. And they're playing them at like Ramones type speed. And it really won me over. And like I said, first time I heard a lot of those songs. I'm always going to love Sha-na-na. The fact that they played Woodstock is one of my absolute favorite things about Woodstock. No doubt about it. Because I I don't know who invited them. I don't know how it happened. I'm just glad it happened. You can tell that they threw them out right there at the beginning of the morning. Actually on day four, technically. So it's like Paul Butterfield had basically played like way late at night, I think is how the story went. It was only supposed to be three days, but technically the festival went long into the sunrise hours of Monday morning. So the last three people scheduled to play are the last three I'm playing here on the show, starting with Paul Butterfield, going into Sha Na Na, and when you see them in the film, they're clearly playing like right there in the morning while the sun's coming up. So just getting woken up to like 50s culture, greaser hair and the, you know, dancers on stage. I mean, that had to be like... I'm sure some people thought that they were tripping balls real bad <laughs> when they saw Shannon out there. But I love it. That's another reason why I do love it. Uh, so here you go. You really got to go with live versions if you're going to do Shannon, especially like the old live versions from their Kama Sutra era stuff. So here you go. Here's another great killer live version of an old favorite by Shannon. This is Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. <laughs>
All right, there you go. Rock and roll is here to stay by the great Shanana. Sticking it to the hippie culture right there. <laughs> no, we all love each other. We're all encompassing, right? Yeah, hey, you know. I was trying to think of like bands that existed during that time that I feel should have been invited. You hear about like, you know, the Beatles were invited and the Stones were invited and neither of them wanted to show up. Beatles were broken up by then. The Stones were on hiatus, you know, and that's the other thing is that you hear the famous Joni Mitchell story. A lot of people just didn't realize how big it was really going to be, how much of a cultural impact this really would have, how many people were actually going to show up. Because the fact that that many people showed up is what really became the story. Like, half a million people, almost, showed up to this thing. And this is at a time where festival culture is already in full swing, you know. So it's like, oh, you know, you know, hopefully like 50,000 people will show up if we get lucky, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, they really, you know, you didn't know. So, Joni Mitchell's famous story, she was advised by her manager or something to not miss some sort of television appearance or something. Uh, what, was, what was the other one? I said they were playing a, some band that I really like was like playing a show like in New York State that weekend. <laughs> And they did that show instead. I can't remember now, but it, it would have been really cool. Okay, sorry, just skip shot in here. But yeah, a lot of people were asked and just didn't make it. It'd been cool to see Donovan there. Like it'd have been funny if, like, if you know, because I know that they played a. Uh, they were just getting off their feet. Alice Cooper would have been funny if he played Woodstock. He would have. They wouldn't have liked him at all. <laughs> and plus, they hated hippies. So why would they go? Anyway, getting to the end of this show here, we're going to finish off the show with who you think I'm going to finish off. I mean, this guy is synonymous with the festival itself. I don't think he lived to see the release of the film. I'm not sure about that, honestly. It just, that seems like, that, that sounds right, but yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's this is kind of a twofer, even though I consider it one song because it goes right into the other one. So we can consider this a medley. So it does count as one song, and it's my show. So you can't really do a proper coverage of the original Woodstock without playing Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
right. Hailing from the planet Jupiter by way of Seattle, Washington, by way of England, all the way over there into upstate New York. That was Jimi Hendrix, and of course, kicking off with the divisive cover of the Star Spangled Banner right into Purple Haze, just slamming right into it right after that. Good stuff there. And that's one of the few acts, of course, because of how famous the performance is, you can actually find his entire performance on like a CD collection out there just called jimmy hendrix woodstock it's an official release from the hendrix family experience thing go check that out if you are so inclined and you can listen to arguably the most famous set at woodstock but at the same time the least attended set of the entire festival for that reason i mentioned before that three days turned into four Hendrix played at the very end. Not sure if he just was like, I'm going to close the whole thing. Or they were like, you're going to close the whole thing because you're like the biggest thing here. And he wound up playing like sometime Monday morning. And it was the least amount of people that were there for the entire three and a quarter days of peace and love and all that stuff. So yeah, there you go. Fun fact. Less people saw Hendrix than anybody else. (laughs) You know, Melanie, uh, 10 years after. People like that that are kind of footnotes at this point. But yeah. Hendrix, the dead icon, least attended set. Okay, I think it's funny. All right, I wonder how many people like lost, uh, I say lost their jobs. (laughs) What do you think the percentage of people that actually had jobs that were actually there? I don't know, I'm just, I'm just having fun. I don't mean to make fun, but I do. But I also do, but I don't. Okay, all right, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I realized that pretty much all the material is at the minimum 50 years old that was here on this episode for the most part. So if you're still with me, I do appreciate it. I'm going to reward you possibly with a little Easter egg at the end of the show and not just the awesome one that we play on every show. So you may want to stay tuned. So I'll keep the plugs brief. You can find this show and all the other episodes of Rock Strikes 10, including the ones that aren't on any of the other podcast outlets, strictly on cnjradio.com. All 343 episodes of Rock Strikes 10 currently on cnjradio.com. While you're there, also check out the flagship of cnjradio.com, The Wrestling House Show with myself and Chris, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions featuring Randy Brown, a true alternative. I wonder what Randy's love-hate ratio is of Woodstock artists. I should ask him. Also, The Last Theater with Chris, the CFCNJ, the aforementioned Chris there. Also, Talking Rock a offshoot of Rock Strikes 10 and Talking Metal with myself and the great Mark Schriegel. We have a new episode up right now. Uh, The first one about a month and a half. My fault. So go check it out. It's up there. Good stuff. Also, the I Am Vinyl podcast, the latest venture of cnjradio.com, featuring myself and mostly Pete LaRussa of Space Beard. Go check out these episodes. Pete's doing a great job holding the majority of the load here for it. So great job, Pete. Everybody go check out and subscribe to the I Am Vinyl podcast. Man, I might actually try to add a new show here before the end of the year. Yeah, it's probably happening. But I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I know, Joey, get a life. Okay, this is my life uh, pretty much at this point, at least from uh, any kind of professional standpoint. All right. I hope you enjoyed this show. Once again, I said that already. Um, The next episode, of course, I guess I'm going to have to go for it. Woodstock 94. Did I like 10 bands from Woodstock 94? Barely, but it's happening. So check it out. Once again, like this episode, you'll probably hear people that you didn't even realize were a part of the Woodstock 94 lineup. There's my teaser. Before we get out of here, 
Last but not least, extra special thanks to Pete, the aforementioned Pete LaRussa, and the guys from Spacebeard. Just uh, came off a gig this last weekend over there. It's really happy to see him out there. So definitely make sure, especially you East Coast people, but overall, make sure you're following Spacebeard and Pete LaRussa on Facebook. For the direct link, it's facebook.com slash spacebeardband. Go there for more info, purchase their latest album gone, and tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent you. All right, we'll go ahead and get out of here, and we'll see you on my deep dive of Woodstock 94. Was it better? Did it suck more? Who knows? We'll find out. Till then, have fun. the Nightbird with a Woodstock Minute. Very few people realize that most groups appearing at the Woodstock Festival did not make it into the Woodstock movie. Artists such as Leslie Weston Mountain, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and the Jefferson Airplane. But the most glaring error was the omission of Larry Fine of the Three Stooges, whose backstage contributions were the backbone of the festival. Oh boy, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. Hey, who is that ugly broad? Janet Joplin? I wouldn't f*** her with chimps. Yes, Larry Fine was feeling no pain. Hey, Mo, I'm getting dizzy. What's hashish? It wasn't long before the crowd was won over by Larry as he led them in the infamous rain chant. Hey, come on, you ass thing. It's raining now. We gotta make it stop raining. Larry got to know stars like Jimi Hendrix. Hey, Jimmy, is it my imagination, or has Santana's drummer been taking a solo for a day and a half? <laughs> hey, man, Larry, you are so cool. Thanks, Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, who's the darkie with the needle in his arm? That's my good friend. We experiment with drugs together. Larry was asked to make several stage announcements, which wasn't so easy because he was drunk. Oh, please don't eat the brown acid. I'm warning you, please get off those towers. I had long hair before any of you jerk off. Get on off those towers, you hard-ons. Don't eat the brown acid. I'm warning you. And somebody find me a whore. Larry advised many of the up-and-coming stars like Country Joe and the Fish. Hey, Mr. Pine, excuse me, you got a minute? Hey, Country, how you doing? Hey, what are you and the fishes going to do when you get out on stage? Oh, man, I don't know what to do. I got no ideas. I got it. Why don't you go out there and spell f***? Hey, man, great idea. Now get out there before I take an axe handle to your colon. Country Joe was truly inspired. Give me an F. Go for it, country. Give me a U. Hey, don't forget the K at the end. Larry doubted his usefulness at Woodstock, but he soon realized he was an integral part of the festival.
In one of Larry's last recorded interviews, he spoke in great detail about the three days of peace and love. What do you remember about Woodstock? Well, I felt out of place until I saw Shanana. Did you do drugs? <laughs> I said to Mo, let's trip. We have nothing to lose. I tie-dyed my hair. Was there alcohol abuse? Oh, yes. I started drinking when I heard Crosby, Stills, and Nash. To this day, if you <laughs> listen to Crosby, Stills, and Nash, you can hear faintly in the background a drunken Larry Fine singing along with the group. Getting to the point where I'm no fun anymore. Larry Fine, not just one of the Three Stooges, but an integral part of the Woodstock Festival. Mo gave Jimmy the lighter fluid idea for lighting the guitar. So you take credit for that? Yeah, I said let the Schwarzer light himself on fire and his stupid guitar. Are you bitter about Woodstock? Bitter? Hell yeah! Those forgotten schnooks and Warner Brothers stiffed me on the movie deal for Woodstock. Larry Fine, the forgotten stooge. I'm Allison Steele with another Woodstock Minute. Thank you, Allison.